Hello everybody, welcome to the Atomic School Podcast. My name is Matthew and I have a couple things that I need to get off my chest before we get back to the episode where I talk about a bunch of movies from the 90s that nobody ever heard of with one of my friends instead of spending time with my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, on the only day off that we've had together in three weeks. And then of course I will have all the usual bullshit to get through, so we'll knock that out while we're at it. The first thing I want to talk about is how fucking annoying April Fool's Day is. Every March 30th through April 4th, I have to live my whole ass life on a DEFCON 3 alert because the entire internet basically becomes an article from The Onion. You can't scroll through whatever Zuck is calling Facebook now because any post you see from someone you are friends with might be a prank. Or even worse, it's not a prank. I remember one year I had a friend from high school post a picture of an ultrasound on April 1st and I sent her a DM with a bunch of laughing emojis and I remember sending her a message like, oh my god, your post is hilarious, you are so not ready to be a mom. It was not a prank. And spoilers, I was not invited to the baby shower. April Fool's Day sucks. You can't read about any kind of music or movie news because whatever they announce could be total bullshit. You can't even tune into whatever shitty podcast you usually listen to because you know the self-important host is going to subject you to some stupid prank that they think is funny when you just wanted to spend 30 minutes escaping reality. I will admit that when we first got together, my beautiful, sweet, kind, clever, stylish, and very much regular size footed wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name and I did pull a Facebook engagement prank that nobody thought was funny but us. When we initially changed our relationship status to engaged, I remember a lot of the people who knew her were super excited and a lot of the people that knew me literally couldn't believe it. So that should tell you something about the lives we led before we both met each other. The point I'm trying to make is that I don't have any room in my life for childish fun. You're not going to catch me pulling any kind of April Fool's prank in this episode or in my life because I'm an adult with two dogs, a 401k, and a cereal that is 100% bran in my pantry. I'm retiring from April Fool's Day and pranks in general, especially the one where I think it is a hoot and a holler to dump a giant bowl of ice water on my beautiful, innocent, laundry-folding wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, while she is in the shower just trying to live her life, exfoliate, and sing Evanescence in Peace. In other news from the Dildo Chronicles this week, probably the craziest shit that has happened yet. I got a $50 tip. No bullshit. There was a younger couple that came in looking for a whole bunch of stuff and I helped them find what they were looking for, gave them some moral support to break out of their comfort zones, and threw in a few bon mots like I do for good measure. And it turned out to be like a $550 sale, which was awesome. The dude handed me six $100 bills and told me to keep the rest and I was fucking shocked. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that it was definitely a couple that had just gotten together and the dude was trying to throw some money around to impress his lady, which is all very sweet and all, but the more I think about it, the more I don't really give two shits why he did it. I just can't fucking believe that that happened. Also, as I'm talking about it, I think both of them may have been hitting on me, which has happened a few times for sure at the dildo store. But until the dude that hits on me has a Captain America shield and a dog named Dodger, I'm probably going to stay on the roster for the team I'm currently playing for. As far as what I'm going to do with that money, I could most certainly use some of it to buy my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, who makes me fresh guacamole anytime I ask for it, some Kat Von D vinyl lip cream, specifically the Dahlia color, which is a deep reddish burgundy, and it's on sale at Sephora.com right now, 
but I'll probably end up leaving it in my wallet to pay for the two double cheeseburgers and french fries I get on the way home when I have a bad day that I totally think my wife doesn't know about, but she most certainly sees in the kitchen trash because she's not an idiot. Alright, so I have a gold star question for you guys that I want to be sure to get to this week, and it is about Disney princesses because I, Matthew Kidson, host of the Atomic Skull podcast, spent my entire childhood wanting to grow up to be a Disney princess, and I think that dream isn't over. So I was hoping that all of you guys could help me by answering this week's gold star question. Some of you know me a lot, some of you only know me through the show, but knowing me as you do, what Disney princess do I, Matthew Kidson, remind you of the most and why? I need the reasoning. Email me at atomicskullpodcast at gmail.com, slide into my Instagram DMs at atomicskullpodcast, and tell me which Disney princess you could see me, Matthew Kidson being, if I really put my effort and energy into it. And you guys, I'm really asking for full participation here. Even if you don't normally answer Gold Star questions, getting a lot of answers to this question, I mean really getting my emails and DMs inundated, Fuck that. Saturated with answers to this question would really motivate me, Matthew Kidson, to get back to my childhood dream of becoming a Disney princess. Thank you all so much in advance for your help on this, and I really look forward to hearing from everyone. All right, now for the best of the week, I think this is going to be a first for the program. A couple weeks ago, I had mentioned that my favorite comedy show of all time, Arrested Development, was about to be removed from Netflix after having been on the streaming platform for like the last 500 years or so and I had made that my worst of the week. It turns out that they just struck a deal a few days before it was scheduled to be removed for it to stay on for another three years, which is awesome. It sure as shit is gonna save me a ton of time not having to fire up my VPN and illegally torrent it like the dirty, filthy pirate that I am. And yes, I want to confirm that one more time that I, Matthew Kidson, illegally download movies and TV shows all the time using my VPN to hide my location. I'm so glad the show is staying on Netflix. I'm definitely ready to watch it again for the billionth time and love and quote every second of it. For worst of the week, it looks like Jonathan Majors got a little kangry in Manhattan last weekend. <laughs> got him! He was arrested and arraigned on several assault charges involving his girlfriend. I guess Major's attorney has said that they have a written statement from the girlfriend recanting the accusation she has made about what happened, as well as video testimony from witnesses, but for some reason, they aren't releasing that statement and they're letting Major's career get closer and closer to the pavement. It is definitely a sensitive subject with lots of moving parts right now, but here's what I know for sure. First, according to police statements, the victim suffered open hand strikes causing pain and Majors put his hand on her neck causing strangulation and bruising. I don't really see anything wrong with that. It sounds like a good time to me. Can someone please give Majors my phone number? On the other side of it, whenever a famous man is accused of any kind of physical aggression towards a woman, the lawyers immediately come out and deny it every time. That's not news, but I always get confused when they claim they have evidence but never release it and hold on to it. I'm not a lawyer, but I've watched a shitload of episodes of Law & Order and the trial of public opinion is already in session. And if there's any evidence in either direction, they should release it. 
On the other side of that, last week it was very quietly announced that all of those hefty-ass felony charges against Justin Roiland, the co-creator of Rick and Morty, were dropped. He was completely cleared of any wrongdoing according to the law, but his career is never going to recover. I do stand by my statement from when I talked about him before that he is a weird asshole, but that isn't illegal. I can tell you with a pretty hardcore degree of certainty that I... Matthew Kitson, I'm also a weird asshole, but that doesn't mean my career should end because of it. Like I said, a lot of moving parts to the whole thing, so I'll be very curious to see how everything plays out. He is a huge star that was just in a lot of things and is about to be in a lot more things, and I'm sure everyone at Marvel right now could make diamonds with how much their butt cheeks are clenched, waiting to see how this all comes together because Majors is about to be in at least three or four Marvel projects in a row. Someone needs to give his poor publicist a coffee and a hug maybe an orgasm, I don't know. And then, before we get back into the 90s movies, I have a song of the week for you guys. One of my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name's favorite songs is Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. Mrs. What's-Her-Name is a total 90s ho song-wise, getting her to listen to anything that was made after 2012 and not written by Taylor Swift is like doing fucking push-ups. But if I can do one of my unnecessary and long-winded, smug, musical, know-it-all factoids for your pleasure, Natalie Imbruglia was an Australian soap opera star who happened to get an album deal because she could sing and was already kind of famous. Basically, imagine Millie Bobby Brown getting an album deal. It's kind of like that. Back in the mid to late 90s, because I'm old, I saw No Doubt in concert with a band named Edna Swapped who opened up for them, and Edna Swapped did a version of the song Torn that everyone knew, but what everyone didn't know, including myself at the time, was that Edna Swapped was the band who originally wrote and performed the song. It turns out an Australian producer got a hold of it, cleaned it up, made it more poppy, and gave it to a soap opera star, and that made her a one-hit wonder. When I played the original version for my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name, she was floored. It's way more moody, has distorted guitars, the singer has a deep, raspy voice, and it is so much better. So again, in honor of the 1990s subject that we are continuing from last week, I am going to make the song of the week, Torn, by Edna Swap. It's really good, you guys. It's kind of fun to take a song that you know really well and hear a completely different version of it that sounds a million percent better than the version that you know. It is waiting in all of its moody glory as a part of the Atomic School Podcast Songs of the Week playlist on Spotify. Please be sure to check it out after the episode, you guys. I think you will love the shit out of it just like my wife does because she has really amazing taste in music and you can suck her ass twice. And that's going to do it for the extended intro to the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to me babble. As usual, we are going to throw it back to the regularly scheduled episode featuring myself, Matthew Kidson, and Amir, continuing our lists of the goodest movies of the 1990s. It's possible I may have a deeper voice than I do now, but just ignore it. It's fine. For number eight for me, I have to do a cartoon. Got to. If this was a straightforward best of the 90s list, I would be arguing with myself and then with you between The Lion King and Iron Giant. For, for just Ooh. for straight up, yeah, right? Tough. 
And so in the 90s, right? I'm going to go with the Disney movie. I'm going with the Disney movie. Yeah. You have to go with the I Disney have one movie my list. in the 90s. Yeah. So Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King were all in a fucking row. Yes. Yes. I feel like that was the true golden age of Disney. Like, fuck the mm-hmm. old, you know, Cinderella, Snow White. Like, that's all iconic. Yes. But as far as golden age goes, it felt like every summer I was going to see another Disney movie and all of them hit the mark in yes. different ways. Yes. Just perfectly. Yes. But if we are talking about rewatchability, quotability, mm-hmm. straight up comedy in a fucking Disney movie that actually makes me laugh my ass off. Even yes. after seeing it a million times, which I have, and I quote along with it. Number eight, I am going with Emperor's New Groove. Oh, wow. Find me yes. another Disney movie that is legit that funny. I will wait. I, I have one for you, but I am. that is a great pick. And oh that one, it, David Spade, like, just doesn't get enough credit. His timing is excellent. He is amazing in that movie. Mm-hmm. And who Cronk uh, was it? Was it Patrick uh, Patrick Warburton? Patrick Warburton man. was like, was Kronk? Those two were incredible. Yeah, in that movie, and it's it's quotable. Yep, rewatchable, and genuinely funny. Super funny. Oh my god! And, yeah, and I'm, no. Ex- aside from the beginning, there was like no musical numbers in it. No, there wasn't anything no. crazy or weird or like it just like not any kind of Disney. Like let's break let's break off for a second to sing a song about wonderment. Yeah, it was just straight up laugh after laugh after laugh, and there were jokes that were not for kids. No, and in I mean, that's, that movie, and that's what I was going to say. That movie was probably the the most mature animated movie around that time. Because Lion King, great for kids. Aladdin, great for kids. Beauty and the Beast, great for kids. All these movies are great for kids. Emperors was great for adults. And then kids can watch it. Because that movie was phenomenal. Absolutely. And then All Star for that movie was Eartha Kitt playing Yzma. Who was fucking great. I hadn't heard of Eartha Kitt since I watched old school Batman in the 1960s where she was Catwoman. I was like, what the fuck is she doing here? That was wild. Absolutely. All right. And so... Now, my number eight, which also happens to be a Disney oh, here we go. animated movie. Here we go. Because you can't have a 90s list without a Disney movie. There's no way. So, like you said, you had Lion King, you had Aladdin, and Little Mermaid, all these critical, massive hits. Mm. Probably one of the best strings of Disney movies in the history of, of their studio. Yeah. But mine, that I would constantly rewatch... And try to recreate a specific concert. Um, <laughs> oh, we're gonna dig into that in just a you second. Know, it's none other than a, a Goofy movie. Oh fuck! It's a Goofy movie. <laughs> How did I forget about the Goofy movie? Goofy That's movie, on me. A Goofy movie. I mean, Polly Shore with his <laughs> Leaning Tower of Cheese. I mean, yeah, everything about that movie. Powerline and Roxanne and Max and. The whole going on a camping trip gone bad, but yeah. it was ultimately a story about a son and dad bonding. Right. That movie was everything. Also funny. Super funny. Also really funny. And the music was great. It's it's so underrated. It's pound for pound one of one of the their better musicals, even though it wasn't yeah. like Lion King style musical. Right. It was that movie just had everything. Yeah. Little cameos from Mickey and Donald and Right, it. right, mean, yep. And Max trying to, you know, hey, impress impress the girl, Roxanne. So, (laughs) 
you know, I could relate. Yeah. At, at that time, I was like, yeah, that's all I wanted to do was impress girls. Right. But I, I didn't have the swag like Max did. So, <laughs> Not you then. Know. You do now. No, <laughs> right. Made up for it now. But a goofy movie, man, that was, that's still up there for me as one of my favorite Disney movies. For sure. 100%. Sweet. So, number seven for me is going to be my 1999 movie. Okay. 99 hit different for movies. For sure. Right. It was a big-ass year. You had American Beauty, mm-hmm. Fight Club, yeah. Magnolia, yeah. The Green Mile, yeah. Eyes Wide Shut, yeah. right? All classics. Yeah. All amazing. But my 99 movie mm-hmm. is the fucking action movie that took CGI, storytelling, character building, all to the next fucking level... And it took Keanu Reeves to the next fucking level. Oh, is all right. The Matrix. <laughs> okay. The Matrix. And I, yes. so shame on me. I've never seen The Matrix in the theater. I saw it on Laserdisc way too late on a TV and I was blown the fuck away. Yeah. The action and CGI were great. The story was surprisingly good. Very rarely do you get action and story that are both awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so The Matrix was one of those, one of those things where. I, I got to see it in theaters. Nice. And it blew me away because there was nothing like it. There was nothing right. like we've seen before in theaters yeah. or in movies in general. Yeah, it changed the game. And fun fact, that was like the first big like thing that, that put DVD on yeah, the map. That's DVD true. discs, like actual physical DVDs. The Matrix was like the big thing. Yep. And the bullet time stuff was just next level. Yeah. Like that that, you know, him dodging bullets and stuff like that. There's so many aspects of the imagery in that movie that just changed the game. Yeah. And then, obviously, the, the choreography. The, Yo, fight, the yes. fight choreography was just fucking legendary in it. Yes. Yeah, I don't... There's a... I mean, in that time frame, nothing got close. No. There no. was nothing. Because it was all about... It was l- less about blowing shit up. Yeah. And more about the beauty of, like, fight choreography. Yeah. And then the badassery. I mean, you know, when, when Trinity and Neo... Right. Right, get in the building to go save uh, Morpheus, right? Yes. Morpheus? Morpheus? Morpheus. 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 Morbin time? Le- Is it Morbin time? No. We, I, you are dismissed. <laughs> you, you, can, you can go. When they go to save uh, Lawrence Fishburne back up there, which I would go through a burning building to save Lawrence yeah. Fishburne. Oh, of course. 100%. Absolutely. But uh, when they just, when they got all their guns and they had, all, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, man. I don't know if I had to choose between the Desperado bar scene uh-huh. and the that that lobby scene for just shootouts. Uh-huh. I don't think, I don't think I could do it. And we're not going to do it today. Yeah. We get, there's no way we're we're not we're yeah. not gonna fucking pay me pay me and I'll make the choice. But yeah, even if you pay me, I'll have a tough time. With oh that. my god! Yeah, I'll have that a tough, tough time one. with that one. You, you had Matrix. I have another. Eh, it wasn't 1999. I think it was 97. Okay. And I have a disaster movie on the list. Oh yeah, they, they, they were big. I they needed were big a disaster in the 90s. movie. Yep. And um, I was very fascinated with uh tornadoes oh boy in the 90s oh no <laughs> so oh, no. <laughs> i was very fascinated with tornadoes in the 90s yeah. um <laughs> which means you know i had to put twister in the list <laughs> Twister's uh, a solid it's a good fucking movie twister is one of those i mean come on man helen hunt bill paxton paxton like i mean i mean uh flying cows so seymour hoffman yeah was in it right as, as the uh what was what was he? he he was almost like Polly Shore but like 
the Storm Chaser version. Yeah, right. Which I never knew could be a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that movie was great. The little scene where they call their little machine Dorothy. Right. Because it goes in the air like the tornado, which is a Wizard of Oz reference and all right. that stuff. The one scene that was great to me is like when, uh, obviously, he was Bill Paxton was with a woman. And then Helen Hunt, who's a fellow Storm Chaser who he was married to, they have their little thing. Yeah. That, it had everything. It did. It had relationship drama. It had tornadoes. It had Philip Seymour Hoffman doing his best Polly Shore impersonation. Right. Um, yeah. And it had flying houses and cows. And then the scene where they literally wrap a little belt onto a pole and somehow didn't get uh, sucked away by like an F5 tornado. Welcome to the 90s, man. Uh, that was o- that was only possible in 90s movie yeah, reality. I, I just, in that, in that movie, and they're doing a sequel to it. Are they really? Yeah. How a sequel? No. Uh, well, I don't know. Paxton and Hoffman ain't going to be in it. Exactly. <laughs> so I heard they're doing a sequel to it. They're in next two years or something. But okay. I don't know how they can recreate that. That no. was a 90s movie to the fullest. And that was one of those. I feel like that just was an accidental hit. Like, oh, just, yeah. who's going to go see movies about fucking tornadoes? No, no. But it worked. It worked. Yeah, it was good. Because what other movies are there about tornadoes? Exactly. Yeah. I, I literally cannot think of anything. I know Roland Emmerich. Changed the game when he did all the day after tomorrow and right stuff like that, but no one did a good tornado movie. No, no, I don't think anyone's done one since. <laughs> I, I think that I think that is done. They're right. going to leave it at twisted. They, yeah, exactly. They, that was the number twenty three. <laughs> they just retired that shit instantly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, all right. So for my number six, courtroom dramas are a weakness for me. All right. And in the nineties, we had Philadelphia which was Denzel being Denzel, right? Mm-hmm. We had A Time to Kill, which was McConaughey before he was even on anyone's radar. Right. The Client, mm-hmm. which was really good. Primal Fear, which is also a total mind fuck. Yes. Really, really good ending. Underrated, absolutely. Very underrated. Of all the movies on my list, this one is probably the one that I've watched on TV the most. This is the one where like, I've seen it on TV a lot. Uh-huh. The remote goes down. Going for a snack during the first commercial. Mm-hmm. The cast is fucking stacked. It is based on a play by Aaron Sorkin. Oh. And my number six is A Few Good Men. Yes. Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. Yes. Both top of their game. Yes. Right? That courtroom scene with the two of them, which gets, you know, oh, the amazing. you can't handle the truth thing gets, you know, really... One of iconic lines ever. It, right. And it gets, it, gets, it gets a lot of heat now, but... I mean, that fucking scene is just fucking second to none for intensity. Yeah. And Kevin Bacon was in that shit. Yes. A very young Cuba Gooding Jr. Yes. Was in that fucking movie. They, that, that movie was stacked. It was good. Kevin Pollock, Demi Moore, uh, Christopher Guest was in it. Rob Reiner directed it, who I fucking love Rob Reiner. Everything he does. Yeah. That movie was stacked and people didn't know it was stacked. Right. You didn't know until later. You did not know it until later. Yeah. And then even going back, people, when you mention that movie, they're like, and they look at the cast. Yeah. And they're like, wait, all of these people are in this movie together? Yep. They sure were. Yeah. 
I had one of the shittiest childhoods in American history. But when I was flipping through mm-hmm. three o'clock on a Saturday, and I just happened to see the sunrise, and I saw something about Private First Class Santiago, I yes. was like, "Oh, life might just be beautiful." Oh yeah. And I just fucking vegged out, and I would watch. I might watch that one tonight. That might be the one that I watch tonight. Mrs. What's her name and I quote the shit out of that it's often. A good flick. Yeah, oh, it's, it's so a, it's so goddamn good. It's such a good flick. Yeah. I mean, I, I got a number six for you here. Oh, let's go. Um, I was, I guess as a kid, you know, my favorite athlete in the world was Michael Jordan. Don't do this to me. Don't, you're going to do this. <laughs> he, he you're going to do it. You're going to do this to he, me. He knows it's coming. I knew it was going to happen. I knew you my, my favorite athlete in the world. And uh-huh. I watched everything. I was a Suns fan, but mm-hmm. Michael Jordan was my favorite player to Michael watch. Jordan was the nice. He was. He was the show. Yeah. And I mean, and who wasn't a Looney Tunes fan? as Right. Kid? Yeah. So when you mix those two together, Space Jam. Oh, man. My second favorite athlete was Bugs Bunny. <laughs> yeah. And Lola Bunny? Yeah. Oh, I mean, Lola Bunny changed the game for, you know, people who looked at animation characters, you know, in a weird way. <laughs> Lola Bunny gave you that feeling. Hen- yeah, hentai was 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 created. <laughs> from Lola Bunny. From Lola Bunny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Space Jam is, is my number six, and... That movie speaks for itself. It does. There, it's it's good in the yeah. way of not taking itself seriously. Right. Jordan was funny. Bill oh. Murray was good. It it was one and it was weird. Like it was just yeah. all over the like. It wasn't like that cool world bullshit. No, you no. know what I mean. And it was. I think it took its cues from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes, it sure And did. then did something a little bit different where they yes. brought it to sports. Yes. And they added the Looney Tunes, which I fucking grew up oh, all Looney Tunes. I love. Yes. Them. Yes, I thought that was a phenomenal yes. pick. Really yeah, you good just pick. you just couldn't you couldn't like you can't have that movie on now and not watch the entire thing. Yeah, and I've seen it a thousand times. I've watched it in theaters recently. I went to literally a cereal party where yeah. we ate cereal and watched Space Jam. What kind of cereal? Crunchberries. Crunchberries, delicious. I am a Crunchberries guy. Yeah. If I had to, you know, if, if I were, if it gets a little dicey, but you know, I'm I'm a I'm a big. Uh, Applejack Sky too. Are you really? Yes. Oh, dude, not a lot of people like Applejack. Yes. I, I, what's your What's your least favorite? Like, what's the cereal that can fuck off? Um, we're, we're gonna do with uh, Honey Bunches of Oats. Yeah, Honey Bun. I'm not a no. Honey Bun. No, no, yeah, or Raisin, raisin Bran. Right. Hey, look, you're gonna appreciate Raisin Bran <laughs> when you get older. The older I get, yeah, because that <laughs> right. shit's gonna keep you regular right. down the line. Yeah. So right now, you don't like Raisin Bran, but when you're like 65. You're gonna be like yeah. fucking raisin bran. I mix raisin bran with my apple jacks, and that shit's delicious. Oh man, that sounds that that sounds like a stomachache waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it'll keep you regular. Right. All right. Number five for me. Legendary, straight up action movies in the '90s. Straight action. Right. We've got The Rock. We've got Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. We've got Rumble in the Bronx, which you talked about a little earlier. Yes. Speed. Oh, which which is still solid, uh, still holds up. Yes, Goldeneye. Yes, almost as good of a movie as it is a video game. Yes, that's an, that's another list one day. Yes, can't talk about the '90s without talking about Arnold, which we haven't talked about it without talking about Arnold, right? You talked right. about Last Action yes. Hero. Yes, uh, True Lies was almost my pick. It was uh, this fucking close yeah. because True Lies so hasn't aged very well. There's right. there's some there's there's a little bit of. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna mm-hmm. skip, we're gonna skip over it. Yep, There's yep. a little bit of things no, that haven't aged very yep, well, yep. right? But Arnold did Total Recall, yes, which also almost made the list. Yes, but the one that edged it out, and mm-hmm. I'm so 
sorry that I have to put James Cameron on the list, but it was the 90s. <laughs> you gotta do it, is Terminator 2. Yes, 100%. Terminator 2 is still maybe the best action movie of all time. And I will not be taking any notes on that. Still probably top three best sequels of all time. Oh, fuck, yeah, absolutely. Top to bottom. Yeah, it was... It expanded the Terminator story. Yes. It made Arnold the good guy, which was a great idea. Yep. Jason Patrick, who I'd never even heard of, was menacing and terrifying as the T-1000. Yep. And uh, a little Eddie Furlong. Yeah. Right, a little Eddie Furlong. And then Absolutely. Guns N' Roses, yes. who did uh, You Could Be Mine from right. from the flick, which is maybe my favorite Guns N' Roses song overall. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was just fucking 92 rock and roll, blowing shit up, Arnold wearing black, kick-ass yep. fucking action movie. And I feel like it was Arnold at the top of his game, making his money, giving yeah. the people what they wanted. Yeah. And Terminator 2 is a fucking classic. Terminator 2 is so Terminator good. 2 is... is Hands down the best Terminator in the series. Yeah. In my top three Arnold movies of, oh, yeah. of all time. It's, you know, it just doesn't get better as a sequel. Yeah. And, it's, you know, I know, and like, look, I know we put James Cameron on there, but look, he did another fantastic sequel before that, like Aliens. Yep. In, you know, in, in the 80s. Like, he's, he mastered that sequel thing. Yeah, he did. And... Yeah, we have to give them props where it's due because Terminator yep. 2 is incredible. Terminator 2 is phenomenal. Which brings us to my pick. All right, number five. Number five. Let's go. Let's um, go number five. When I was a kid, you know, I always thought, um, damn, it would be it would be nice to like just be given like a large sum of money and just be able to do whatever no, with it I wanted to do. Are you gonna? Am I like even you, like? Could you imagine if oh you got a blank god. check one oh day? Oh god. <laughs> Imagine if you just got a blank check. How did fucking wasn't it Frankie Muniz? Uh, no, no. Was it a Frankie Muniz look like before uh, Frankie yes. Muniz showed up? He was Frankie Muniz before Frankie Muniz. I don't remember the. Kid's how name. did that? How did fucking blank check slide in half so, at the halfway point of your list? Man? Yeah. So here, oh, and, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you why. Oh. Because we had Tone Loke in it, <laughs> chasing down a kid for for his money. <laughs> you know, because Tone Loke was was going to cash a million dollar check, but the kid somehow. Cashed a blank check at some big bank establishment. They gave him a million dollars for a kid. Was it called Funky Cold Medina? (laughs) I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm going to fire. I'm going to dismiss myself from my own show. Talking about not aging, maybe not aging so greatly was the relationship of the FBI agent and the kid. Not okay. You know? No. It was a little, yeah, it was a little sketchy then. Um, Wasn't he like nine years old and she laid a Frenchie on him? She sure did. Oh my God. on a date and everything. Um, yeah, hey, look, if you're rich, there's women out there, if you're rich, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> They'll do what they gotta do. Oh, man. But that kid was living every kid's dreams. Yeah. Having their own arcade, their own yeah. freaking boxing pit, ball pit, race racetrack in the backyard, all that stuff. Your sh- little chauffeur driver yep. with, a, with a trash can full of ice cream? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. It just, Blank Check makes a list just because, number one, you can never buy a house like that for right. that kind of money. No. In these days, anyway. No. So, you know, there's, there's some good fantasy behind it. So, right on. That's why it's up there. Hey, we're going to take it. <laughs> so, number four for me, I'm going to let my snobbery come out. Okay. I have to let the snobbery come out a little bit. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to whip it out. And this is going to be the only, I think it was a Best Picture nominee. <laughs> I think it was. I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure, and I'm not going to look it up. But 
I'm, I'm damn sure. I don't even care. It doesn't matter. If I'm going to go snobby with. So I mm-hmm. almost did Casino. Oh, get fucking amazingly good movie. But rewatchable. That's yeah. a that's a commitment, man. Yes, Every Scorsese movie is a commitment. It is. That's true. I almost did Goodwill Hunting. That's a good one. Goodwill Hunting. I almost did Apollo 13. Yep. Apollo 13 might have made it if it wasn't for the one that was secretly written by Stephen King. Yeah. And that was The Shawshank Redemption. Oh man. For the last 15 minutes alone. I don't think there is a more hopeful, more beautiful, better, wonderful ending to a movie. So basically for me, yeah. the last 15 minutes of Shawshank was created to cancel out the last 15 minutes of My Girl. Because when you watch My Girl, that movie yeah. is a fucking pisser in the last 15. Like, if you don't it see is. it coming. It is. You do not see it coming. Don't. Yeah. Kids, don't watch My Girl. <laughs> It's a great movie, but the end is a pisser. Yeah. Shawshank Redemption. Say Watanejo, right? It was the last 15 minutes, fucking Andy Dufresne escaping prison. I mean, spoilers if you haven't seen it. You know, fucking spoilers. Spoilers 30 years later. Right? Andy, you've you've missed the expiration date on that, but Andy Dufresne escaping prison. Fucking Morgan Freeman getting out of prison legit. It was all good, and One, it's a and it's a it's a beautiful fucking movie, yeah. and it has some amazing acting in it. Yeah. Good cast, good message, yeah. and then ends wonderfully. It's my favorite Morgan Freeman movie. Yeah, hands down. Wow. I think Shawshank might be my favorite. You yeah, know. I'll take that. I think it, it might be mine too. I'm trying to think of a better one. I can, I mean, look, he's been in Glory, Driving Miss Daisy. He's been in a tons of classic movies, but. There's something about Shawshank that's just a feel good movie. Yeah, that it just doesn't it doesn't get better. A feel good movie that takes place in a goddamn prison. Exactly, that's um, wild, right? Yeah, it, it, you 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 put someone in a setting where you're like, goddamn prison. That's just horrible. Yeah, you turn it into something like that is yeah. Oh, I love Shawshank. Yeah, so that pick is justified. Right on. Believe me on that. Fucking a. Which my four All number right. four number four. So we talked about Eddie Murphy. Having our, you know, one of our favorite, our favorite movie, Coming to America. Yep. I just didn't feel right without uh, doing a 90s list without having an Eddie Murphy movie in it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we had a Jada Pinkett in it. Okay. And because I heard, you know, someone got slapped last year at the Oscars, something like Oh, that. you know, we don't, we don't, you we know, don't, we don't, we don't, have, we don't talk about that. Stuff like that. We don't talk about that shit. Um, but, uh, Nutty Professor. Nutty Professor. Nutty Professor. Fuck, man. Why did I not think about Nutty that Nutty Professor shit? is still Good one movie. of the funniest Eddie yeah. Murphy performances that you'll get. And him, Eddie, mastered the playing different characters. I am here we for any movie where Eddie plays different characters. Because yeah. I really feel like that is what made Coming to America so special. Oh, man. Because he can play a bunch of different shit yep. all together and yep. do all of it really well. And he just killed that movie. I yep. mean... I mean, we, we even got a, a young Chappelle yeah. in that movie. I just mentioned Jada Pinkett. I mean, yep. that movie, him bouncing back and forth between, what is it, Eddie Love uh-huh. it? and obviously uh, Sherman. That movie was just so funny, man. And right. it, just, it just doesn't get... there. Everyone knows a Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Right, for sure. Everyone knows that. But the dinner, the dinner table conversation... Yeah. 
with him and Jada. Oh man, that's comedy that, school. Like that's, it's comedy that's fucking. Gold. Yeah, it is the university of comedy. That, that is gold, and that's him playing that whole table yep. outside of Jada. Yeah, like that's he the plays craziest yep. thing, man. And, and that's kid. yes, and yes, kid. yeah. So that's that's still that's that's up there for me. Still one of my favorite Eddie Great performances fucking movies. movies. It's you know Eddie went away because he wanted to go away. Yeah, and sure he did. did a lot of shitties in the nineties, right? <laughs> he he did. did. You know, I think Pluto Nash yes. was in the nineties. Metro yes. was in the nineties, right? Yes. Uh, was Vampire in Brooklyn? Was that that was in the nineties? Yeah. Yep. But he could still do it, man. Yeah. He always he would bring it back with Nutty Professor. He would bring yeah. it back with Daddy Daycare. I yep. stand by Eddie. I stood by Eddie in the hard I times. He's coming back yet again. Yeah, Eddie. We need you oh, to announce please. your comedy tour. We, you got two gentlemen be there in the room will be there. who will pay whatever it is. I will, I will fucking cash out my four hundred one k, which I will have to if he yes. announces. I'm gonna have to do that. I will pay Taylor Swift money to oh, yes. see Eddie Murphy do stand up in person. Absolutely. All right, everybody, looks like we're going to have to break this episode into three parts because I, Matthew Kidson, can't bring myself to shut up when it comes to talking about movies or anything, really. Thank God for Amir, who is funny, interesting, and awesome. Thanks, you guys, so much for taking some time out of your day to have some fun with us and listen to this shit show. I appreciate it all the time, every time. Please tell your nerd friends and even your not-so-nerd friends about the show. I really try to have fun with it every week, and I'm so grateful that you guys are able to join me in that. Apologies to my mother-in-law, and how are you doing? 